Hello everyone, Dallas Rogers here and welcome back to this year's Festival of Urbanism and City Road Podcast Book Club. It's really great to have you along. We've got an exciting collection of conversations with authors and readers this year and all the details are on the City Road Podcast website at cityroadpod.org. And we've got something a little bit different for you today. In a slight change of pace for the book club, I'm talking with James Gulliver Hancock, who illustrated the popular kids' book, How Cities Work, and UTS researchers Dr. Jesse Adams-Stein and Dr. Alexandra Crosby about kids' books and the city. I'm talking with Jesse and Alexandra here in the City Road studios at the University of Sydney, and James is on Zoom. And I start by asking the panel about their favourite kids' books. I think I'll start with mentioning Jeannie Baker's work. Um, so pretty well-known Australian collage illustrator who's been working for many, many years. I think there were books by her when I was a kid. But the two that I selected today, because they are particularly interesting in the way they deal with change, urban change over time and gentrification, uh, was Belonging and Mirror. And Mirror is a sort of bringing together two different cultures. It looks at, it's basically Roselle Lilyfield in Sydney, and also a sort of very Middle Eastern context, completely different to what kids would experience in Roselle or Lilyfield in the middle of Sydney. And then Belonging is looking at um, the greening of an inner city suburb over time. And I just love that we actually have books about our own city. That, that's just so amazing. Alex, what about your books? Well, um, I brought Sean Tan book in today and I was thinking of this one, Rules of Summer, but also The Lost Thing. My child is now a preteen 12-year-old, so I had to dig around a little bit for the children's books this morning, um, but I found a few. And the reason Sean Tan, when Dallas asked this question, um, he sort of keeps coming to mind, is His books are not exactly about the city, but they're about um, feelings of being in the city and as an individual um, within a landscape. And it's such a, the way that he illustrates is such an evocative, beautiful sense of being lost. And that stayed with me, I think, as a child and then through um, reading these books and sharing them with others. So the idea that a city is a place to get lost in is really strong in his, in his work and even though that can be a little bit scary because they're um, children's books, that's certainly part of it. But it's also there's a sort of like drawing in and mystery and curiosity that's that's built into the way that he pictures the city and our place in it. I just love them. And then I've also got um, Alphabetical Sydney here, which is by Antonia Pacenti and Hilary Bell, which is just, again, about our own city. And it's just got all these beautiful details, which make me laugh because they're evocative of my own childhood. I grew up in the inner west in Sydney and um, they're so familiar. And some of those, you know, they're not exactly nostalgic because they still exist. The details that she offers, like the deli, you know, in Earlwood or, or the jacaranda trees in summer and those kind of details that are so sensory that I still enjoy as an adult, but, but these children's fiction can sort of remind you to take notice of them. Excellent. And James, uh, you've actually written a book called How the City Works. I'd love to know what it's like going about crafting a children's book. How does children's writing differ from other forms of writing? 
Um, I mean, with books like that, how cities work, I, I typically work with a writer. So we have a, a team of people because the information is kind of pretty dense, you know, so we're trying to distill it. So there's usually a producer, a writer, a researcher, and all these, and I'm the illustrator, basically. So bringing all these things together into the book at the end, really. So I can't talk too much about the writing, you know, I, I've worked with writers and back and forth with them, but it's more my job to um, take people's information and make it accessible, really. I mean, with that Lonely Planet one, yeah, like I said, there's a, they came to me with the, each page they would present, this is what we need to communicate, this is the words that are going to go on there. And it's a flat book, those books, so there's little flaps underneath things. So you need to talk to the, you know, work around the engineering of it, you know, the physicality of how kids are going to play with this and where things are going to move. And obviously there's also technical things with the printing of that that you need to consider when you're drawing as well. But it's really quite smooth working with a massive company like Lonely Planet. You know, they, they have a lot of resources. So there's, a, you know, I think the latest one we did was um, how ships work and we worked with a, a researcher at the you know, the Maritime Museum in London. So that was pretty special, you know, all these guys that just know so much about that. And we did one about trains. And again, they, we found an English-based train obsessive and worked around that information. So it's really me. I get, you know, a, a very rough page layout, you know, where those flaps are going to go, like I said, the text and the information that has to be communicated. And I have to really, you know, work pretty hard to pull it all together and do many iterations, many different drawings to get it to to be the final thing that you see on the page, you know? Excellent. And Alex has just picked up that book. And maybe you could just talk us through how this book works. So Yeah, it's really beautiful. It starts with the birth of a city. And um, I'm sure you've, James, people have said this to you before, but for me it's very um, evocative of Richard Scarry's work because of your style of cutaways and also that focus on detail. So I get that feeling when I opened your books that I got when I was a child and looked inside his? Yeah, I mean, I didn't get to answer the question about my favourite childhood books, but that was one of them. Richard Scarry's Busy Town is definitely a reference for mine and not that I have, you know, all these characters driving hot dog cars and stuff, but he's, you know, quite far down the fun path. But even so, there's lots of information in those books which I just took in as a kid, you know. You just that layer of uh, fun allows you to interact with deeper concepts about society and stuff. And people have ribbed on that, you know, because it's of its time and there's sort of, you know, the, the women's, the woman's doing the washing up and the guy's building the roof. That's kind of changed and people have done contemporary Richard Scary versions, which is kind of hilarious. The other book I wanted to quickly mention was the Jeannie Baker window book. She's looking out the window at the beginning and it's just a sort of paddock and then eventually over the pages it evolves into a, dense urban environment and that really had a big effect on me I think when I was a kid. Yeah so it's called belonging in some markets and it's called window in other markets for reasons unknown to me. So yeah same book definitely wonderful. Could you tell us a little bit about that book? So um, uh, this is the one that James was talking about as well so it's both called belonging and window and it, it goes through about 22 years or so of a person's life and looking out the window in each double page spread. So the context changes. It looks to me a little bit like maybe Redfern in Sydney, but it's it's nondescript. And through each window is, I think, every two years. And as you can look out the window, you see the process of gentrification, but you also see the process of urban greening. And the family in the story is very into 
planting trees, planting out the the verge, planting out the abandoned block across the road. And as as the years go by, you can see the trees grow up and the and the birds arrive and so forth. And it becomes a sort of real urban greening movement by the end. But you also see the girl grow up over time as well. James, how hard is it to communicate these ideas? Where, as academics, used to dealing with them in quite complex ways, we have very, you know kind of complicated understandings of what gentrification is and the processes that drive it and the histories and the economies. But for a kid's book, I imagine you need to communicate that in a visual way in relatively simple terms. How, how do you translate these complex ideas into a clean visual image? I mean, oh, fundamentally, I find communicating visually much easier than verbally or, or text-based, you know. That's why I said I work with writers and other people and stuff, you know. It just it's been inherently easier for me to to do that, to take what's around us or what's in a piece of text and do a drawing and, and allow that to do the talking for me to other people. So I've always found it easy. I don't know if that's a, a talent or whatever it is, but, I mean, I do it with sort of client illustration work too. You know, you get a brief and, and they don't really know what they're asking for. And it's the same with a kid's book. You know, there's this text, but you've got to pull out certain bits of it. You're not going to be able to communicate everything in a, whether it's a paragraph or a 20-page academic document that you've got to do a cover for, you know. it's um, You've got to sort of find your own way in and, and get a bit artistically romantic about sections of it and go on little tangents that get you drawing some things rather than other things, you know. Sometimes with the drawing it's what you leave out is as important as what you put in, you know. Yeah, I don't know. There's lots of little tricks that I think I do that I don't really think about, you know. I, I do it also with drawing maps, you know. I do a lot of maps that are meant to not be used as a map to walk around a place, you know. It's not like this street is called this and it intersects with this street. It's not a proper map. It's more about getting someone excited about a place. So you're really leaving out. 80% of the streets and there's just the key streets that everyone knows and there's, you know, the things that you want to communicate about that place, whether it's a particular garden or a tree in some place or someone's house or a particular cafe or something. You drop away all this information and put in just these specific things to be able to say something about a place that everyone knows is there but is sometimes hidden by all the chaotic stuff that's around there. And the other books that I've done about cities, all the buildings in New York and I've done other cities, People have commented on those as well being intergenerational kind of books there for anyone. But um, the sort of key thing is that the, each building is taken out of context. So I'm just drawing one building. I'm not drawing the cars, the people, the chaos that's going on, especially in a place like New York. I'm just drawing that one building with everything else stripped away. And that allows that building to communicate more powerfully about what it is and makes people actually look in more detail in reality in the situation which that building is in rather than just passing by because there's too much to look at, you know. Yeah, I'll just jump in, James, because I am quite familiar with your work and I've watched you draw and drawn with you um, on occasions. I think that one of the things about the communication aspect is people think of the way that you're communicating with an audience and with your authors and researchers and publishers. But I also get this strong sense from your work of the way that the, the city is communicating to you. What I mean about that is you're an incredible observer. So that 
idea that the city tells you lots of things, there's so many stimuli, there's so many inputs, and you're kind of reading it in a particular way. You know, I love your drawings, but I think in a way that's the essence of the communication part of it. And it takes a long time to sit and observe or walk and observe and notice the things about cities that normal people that other people or people in our busy lives wouldn't necessarily. And it takes a certain amount of resistance to the hustle and bustle or to the main story that is being told by the city to us. So I think that observation part is really important in your work. And it's a conscious, playful thing. You know, you can walk around and turn that on and off. And often when I'm teaching a a workshop to, you know, anything five to 50-year-olds, it always comes down to the same thing of stopping and meditating on a thing, really. You know, it's not, you can't just walk past and take a photo. That's not the same as sitting there and trying to draw this thing for 15, 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour, you know. All the, I, I taught one recently and it was literally that I had a five-year-old and an 18-year-old in the same class and they both needed to do the same thing. They both needed to, we were drawing this church and it was, the five-year-old always smashes it out and it looks amazing. I'm like, you've nailed it. Everyone just look at what you're doing because they're so good at just not double-guessing themselves. But both of them approached this thing and finished it, in inverted commas, and I'm like, well, look again, what else can you see? And, you know, there's suddenly they start to see, you know, the downpipe has a weird angle or it doesn't meet the ground or there's a missing tile on the roof. And all these details start to come out the more you sit and look at something. So. Excellent. I wanted to talk in a second about consumption. So we're talking about production of books a little bit here. But before we finish with production, both Alex and Jess, you both uh, do research and have projects where you try to communicate that research to non-academic audience, wider audiences. And that involves this process of leaving stuff out, cutting back to the core narrative thinking about ideas in visual terms, thinking about how people will engage these materials and taking that user experience seriously. What can we learn from kids' books and this, what we've been talking about in terms of our own research practice and communicating with wider public audiences? It's interesting because I think kids are actually very complex thinkers, so we shouldn't underestimate them. And so sort of saying, or oh, keep it simple might be an oversimplification of, of what kids are actually capable of, of understanding. Um, but I do think James encapsulated it quite well when he talked about when a five-year-old draws. They have an instinctive sense often of confidence in what they want to capture and then pulling it together and it's just there in front of you in five minutes and you think, my God. And I certainly see that with my six-year-old all the time. Um, so there is this sense of trusting what you want to say but not getting distracted by all of the other voices that might be saying, oh, well, you know, you need to consider this and you need to also, you know, make sure you tick this box and tick that and just being like, no, this is the story that I want to tell and this is what needs to be told. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I think, you know, we talk about engagement a lot and research translation, but I think one of the biggest challenges is disengagement because some of the well, mostly the issues that we're researching, all, all three of us, are pretty serious and we are at a moment of crisis and, you know, we feel that every day when we go to work and we, we deal with the issues that we do. That is not a great way to engage people. So I think, um, you know, one of the lessons from children's book at, children's books and illustrators like James is... How do you maintain that sense of curiosity through through wonder and imagination and, and, you know, possibilities when you're talking about things that are really 
really difficult. And that is a constant challenge and our audiences are diverse, so it's not easily solved. But I think keeping in mind that the sort of investment that we have in our research questions is different from the kind of investment we want to have from our audience when we think of them engaging with those questions because they're, they're going to be solved and dealt with together. We're not doing the, the working through and the fixing. We're doing much more of the asking. So I think there's a lot to learn well, from children generally and from what engages children and what they stay with and what they put down. I mean, it's very, with children's books, it is, and there's whole fields of research around this, but it is incredible what children choose if you give them a pile of books. And um, I'm, you know, I'm not clear on that at all, but I'm fascinated by it. And sometimes it's the quirky story or the rhyme or the way that James has drawn a drain pipe that really resonates with the way a child imagines stormwater operating in the city. So I think there's a lot to learn. Oh, I did also want to mention uh, Bob Graham because I know that in our pre-discussion of of this topic, there were a lot of people saying how much they love Bob Graham's work. And one of the things, I mean, he's done a lot of books centred in the city, A Bus Called Heaven, um, uh, This Is Our House, there's there's many of them. Uh, And also that really enduring but not overplayed themes of solidarity and care for the environment and care for families and communities and collective action. But he doesn't really shove it in your face in a sort of overplayed way. It's just there through the story, this real gentleness. And I don't know how much kids are even picking up on that. I certainly read them and I feel very moved, but I'm not sure whether kids just like it because, you know, it's a fun story. It's hard to, hard to tell. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say it's funny that I always pick these books that I enjoy and they're not usually the ones the kids enjoy. You know, it's um, I'm, I'm picking from certain you know, professional illustrator things. I like the drawings. It's not necessarily about the story or I want to learn something in particular. You know, I'm always buying these cross-section books, you know, Stephen Beastie stuff. Mm-hmm. But the kids, yeah, they'll pick a book that's horribly illustrated and has something in it that they want to, you know, they want to learn about and it's, I just have to read it. So. Oh, it's so painful how many times you have to read it as well, James. <laughs> oh, exactly. And it reminds me back to when I was a kid, my mum still grinds me about this uh, Formula One racing car book. I had, she had to read it every single night and if she skipped any words, I would pick her up about it. You know, I wanted every detail about how they changed the tyres and, you know. I did also want to correct myself. Jenny Baker's book Mirror is one context is Sydney, the other context is Morocco, North Africa, not the Middle East, but close. But, yes, I did want to correct myself there. Well, we're getting into consumption side of the children's book story now, and I'm, I'm sure when I throw to James, he's going to say production and consumption, you can't separate them. But we will try, at least, in this uh, conversation. And I'd like to hear actually some stories about reading to your kids, the importance of reading to your kids, the importance to reading to your kids about cities, given that, you know, we are urbanising a lot of social socioeconomic, environmental problems are the product of cities? Well, it's, yeah, it's an interesting question. It's very, it's, for me, it's, it's quite personal. I, um, when my son was up to the most intense period of reading aloud, when he was wanting lots of stories up to the age of about two and a half, we weren't living in the city. We were, um, yeah, we were living out of the city for the first time in our lives. And I, I found myself reading a lot about the city and almost like, this is where we will go home to and this is where I'm from. And, you know, um, I'm conscious of that 
now and we did move that to the city and I wonder how much those books kind of influenced his approach to noticing and being in the city and the other link to that is my brother lives in New York and we visited him once a few years ago and my son hated it. He found it so intense and noisy and I wonder if there's more preparation I could have done in terms of reading to kind of point to that scale and that stepping up that New York is from Sydney. Like it's a very, very different sensory experience and a feel. So, I, yeah, I'm curious about those things, how different places can be introduced to children through literature as a way to engage with them before you're actually experiencing them and how books about cities aren't really books about cities but there are books about particular cities so that's just yeah just something I've, I've thought about in engaging with city literature with my son who now reads whatever he likes and doesn't necessarily talk to me about it actually public transport's a bit of a theme in our house so we like reading about about mobility really travel and moving around and so yeah we've got lots of uh books about cycling we've got lots of books about trains do you know the big pop open books with all the different passengers on them and you know we like reading those ones too James did one of those too, How Trains Work, which is a big favourite at our house. But in terms of reading about the city, I I think I should also mention there's sort of these different genres. There's also the road trip kids book and there's some fabulous examples of that. I was thinking about that, the Alison Lester book I was thinking about. Are we there yet? Yeah. Yeah. There's quite a few versions of of that story done beautifully by Australian children's authors. But also they do go to cities within those stories. So you have that, uh, the the transition between being in different parts of the country and then suddenly you're in the city again. And that uh, Nadia Wheatley's Highway is one, the Sandy Beach is another. There's a whole genre of them. And I think within that, the city figures really strongly and and as a distinct comparison. Uh, I certainly know my, my older son, who's six now, has always loved being in the big smoke. So his version of the city was always when you could see the big tall buildings. He didn't really see living in in Annandale as being in the city. It was just when you went and saw your big buildings. So he wanted to be in the thick of it. And we actually, we went to Tokyo. This is pre-COVID. We went to Tokyo and I have a photo of him as a toddler just very proudly in the middle, like it was 9pm at night because we were so jet lagged, just walking around the city, kind of in front of us, not really wanting to hold our hand with his hands behind his back, just adoring the the hustle and bustle of it all. (laughs) So I don't know what I read, but it's certainly... What an adventurer. He loves it. (laughs) I mean, on the uh, uh, sort of road trip vibes, Roland Harvey is another big reference for me. He was a massive, when I was in primary school, just loved all his books and uh, that's one of the books that I can meet my kid on is uh, at the beach where they go, you know, on this family trip and he's writing postcards to his grandma. And there's just similar to my work, you know, there's lots of little micro narratives within the main narrative within each picture. So, I mean, both me and my kids love exploring those and talking about those little stories, you know, leaving the city and what it feels like to pack the car and these sort of processes of getting somewhere and moving through space is uh, something we all enjoy reading about together. But, uh, we, I mean, we live in an extremely natural environment and the, the, the city is a, a novelty for our kids, you know. They, our daughter especially, she starts smiling and skipping and stuff when we're in, I don't know, the middle of the CBD. She thinks it's sort of hilarious, you know. But I don't know if uh, any of the reading about cities would helps, helps that at all. Uh, I mean, it probably even enhances her feeling of it being this 
Playland or something, you know, it's in it's in kids' books, these buildings, and you go there and it's, it's like a fantasy land. You get to have an ice cream and all this, you know, right on the, the tram and things. I don't know. Do you think um, I'm being a bit too instrumental in thinking about the purpose of books? Am I putting too much on books to say that they should communicate these complex academic ideas? Is 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 that not the purpose of a kid's book? I think it can be, but it's not always. I think some books absolutely do that. I mean, I was thinking as we were chatting, books about school are really were really important for us. And um, I think it's Little Lunch, that series that they made a TV series out of. And it's based in Melbourne, but it's in a public school in Australia. So it's, again, very familiar. And we read those together and it kind of framed school as hilarious before, you know, there was time to be scared of it or anxious or like really, really funny. And so I think that's pedagogical in a way because transitioning to school is a, is a big deal for a lot of children in the city and required by law. So it's something you have, you know, you have to do. So I think books can be really helpful with, you know, things like rights and responsibilities in the city and um, how we live together. So, you know, classic 1980s children's literature about multiculturalism, for example, serves a particular purpose. And I think that's really important, but I don't think all children's literature is like that. What do you reckon, James? I think when you have a a deep concept or passion that's your your own and you bring that to a book, it's, it's, it can be way more powerful, you know, like the, the kids book that was one of the ones that was my own project. I worked with Ben Gilmore, who's a paramedic or ex-paramedic, and he's written a lot of his own uh, books. But we did a, I came to him with this idea, and I basically had a fairly light idea that I wanted to talk about travel and I wanted to um, draw things on different tables around the world, you know, talk to different cultures and what everyone has that's familiar but different. You know, every, a bowl is different in every every culture. Basically, I came to him with that idea and he brought his love of Afghanistan and, uh, you know, the sadness of what's happened and where it is now and he's made films and stuff about that place. And he came up with this story that is a very cute story about this travel bug, a a literal bug that goes around the world to all these tables and interacts with different uh, insects around the world. And it's, you know, it's a very sweet on the surface story about finding his identity, but there is this deep-seated passion of Ben's in there because there's a page about Afghanistan, there's a page about, you know, less troubled uh, cities and countries in there as well. But I think having that in there made it a more powerful story because it was so important to him and it's such a, you know, to bring Afghanistan up, it was published around the world and, you know, it's just makes people talk about it. You know, not a lot of kids would have heard about that place and to, to bring up the discussion of what's happened there is really interesting, I thought. Mm, well, this has been a really fascinating conversation and we pretty much didn't have a plan coming in here. We had a Twitter conversation a few days ago. We said we should record something and we've just been sort of riffing off each other, but it's been really fascinating. What I'd like to do to close out is just to hear from everyone and maybe one kid's book that everyone should read or one experience with a kid's book that you'd like to finish up with? Well, should I be so bold as to just suggest yeah. it once? <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. I mean, I, I love the idea of having, I like, you know, repeated books where you have not, you know, like a series. So, you know, we talked about that Lonely Planet one and the, the one, I do love the books themselves and each individual content section within there. But, you know, you've got the, the cities, the trains, the airports, 
um, space. We did space and, and we're working on or just finished one about stuff, so things in the house, you know, toasters and all that. I really like that when you get to know a sort of way a book works and the sort of the style of illustration and the style of the content and then you can move through all these other educational experiences and have a fun time, you know, journeying through those with all these little narratives in there that I that I hide in there. So I would recommend that whole series of mine. I can't actually think of a single book or experience, but I'm going to say a little tribute to my mum because she's really big on children's books and she works in schools. And I know that my appreciation comes a lot from that and that there's a, you know, there's a legacy of uh, reading and keeping on reading in my family. And one thing that she does is she uses public libraries a lot and um, she now has lots of grandkids and she will have a pile of books in her lounge room in a basket or, or by the couch that are relevant to either the season or the holiday or something she's thinking about. And she'll change that. She'll literally curate her pile of books. And so the kids know when they come to her house that grandma's going to have a different stack, stack of books. And it's just such a beautiful thing to do because there's lovely books that we all know about that have been around a long time and, and read to death. And then there's new books being produced that are opening up our minds to different ways of looking at the city. So I'd love to say I'm going to continue that, but I feel like I don't always have time in my life, but I do appreciate my mum doing that. I, uh, I brought in today a book that I had as a kid and it's actually it was published in 1979, so I doubt it is still in print. It's Kira's Cobbers Go to the Opera House. I'm not sure if anyone remembers it, but it, it's by Kira Quinn Cummins and it was illustrated by John Van Vliet. And oh, Jesse, what's written on the inside cover before you go forward? Jesse Adamstein from Mum and Dad, written in what looks like mm, kindergarten or year one handwriting by Giant, name. wobbly Giant, capital letters. Beautiful capital letters there. <laughs> no letter reversals, but yes. So I wanted to bring this uh, book up because I it's it depicts Balmain. I grew up in Balmain. It depicts Balmain terrace houses, but also views over the harbour from about 1979. And it's the kind of book that I would like to take around as a kid in Balmain and hold up to the harbour and see what had changed over time. So it gave me this sense of urban history, which I think I've been interested in ever since then. So it gave me this strong sense of here is the city in the past and what does it look like now? What's changed? What's the same? What are the stories behind that? Uh, I mean, and the story is about some animals going to the opera house to see one of the animals do a ballet performance. It's a very gentle little story, but it was actually the illustrations that really got me in and are still really evocative and beautiful illustrations. It also uses Aboriginal language, which for 1979 is pretty interesting. I don't know how accurate it is um, and I don't know which particular language they don't specify, but it's interesting that that is even at play in 79. So, yeah, if you ever find that secondhand, Kira's Cobbers go to the opera house. Well, I hope you're enjoying this Festival of Urbanism and City Road podcast book club. I know I've certainly enjoyed bringing you the interviews so far, but we've got a few more surprises up our sleeve yet. So make sure you check out the City Road podcast website at cityroadpod.org and I'll see you next time.